Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is Claire Bourne, who is a physiotherapist specializing in pelvic health. She believes in talking openly about taboo topics and ensuring everyone feels comfortable to get support even for problems that may feel embarrassing to talk about. Now, just from a personal perspective, I'm fascinated by pelvic health. In fact, I just this week was having a conversation with one of my coaches, Caroline, on the app, and we were talking about how the pelvic floor is apparently connected to the jaw. Who knew? And all about this. So I'm really excited to have Claire, who's a total expert in this area, on the podcast today. Claire, welcome to Give Me Strength. How are you doing, my love? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Thank you. It's been a busy season, but we are doing really well. 
Is there ever a quiet time for pelvic health? I did think that, but I'm <laughs> determined that we're just going to keep the busyness uh, going because I really feel like awareness is rising and uh, it's a very exciting time. It is. And you're absolutely right. I feel exactly the same. The conversation now feels much more normalized. Um, still got a way to go, but much more normalized. And that's really good news. I know when I yeah. first met um, Helen, who I shadowed for, for a while, you know, back then it was very new to be talking about pelvic health. And, you know, even for me, it was a huge, steep learning curve to sit in on her sessions and to see what a pelvic health physio did. So I feel like it's really exciting that we have come on a long way. And look, on this podcast, we have such a variety of guests. We have people who are household names. We have uh, people who have the most interesting stories. And we have people who are real experts in their field. And I would absolutely classify you as someone who is fundamentally a, a real expert in this area. And I think that it's really good to have people like yourself who are willing to kind of, I guess, put themselves out there online and talk about things that, as I said in my intro, a little bit more taboo than the normal health topics that we mm. see covered. So I wondered if you could tell me a little bit first about kind of what gave you the confidence to start sharing more about pelvic health online to start, I guess, creating your platform and, and, and creating community around pelvic health. To be honest, it was the, the weekly conversations in clinic of women, women after women. I also treat men, so man after man, just being like, why is this not more accessible? Like, why am I here after years? years and years of like struggle um, and even being like I've seen my doctor who didn't even know you exist so it was really that point where I was like actually I think it's so easy at times as a professional to be like oh why does everyone not know about us we're in the NHS everyone should know and I was like at the end of the day people aren't going to easily come to us we need to go to the people so it was that real passion to be like actually how can we make quite a kind of taboo at times a bit dull topic a bit more relevant to the younger population as well because I still think pelvic health is still viewed as something that we deal with when we're older but you know more and more of us are realizing that it's and it's not just for the perinatal period that you know it's way before that and you know it can impact children as well so that was the main mission it also was lockdown in 2020 when I was at home with a toddler and a baby and I was like I'm such an extrovert. I was like, I need to talk to people. And Instagram became my like social setting. So that's really, I guess, where it sort of developed from passion and life situation. I love that. And I think that um, the first place that I actually really should start, and I think this is a really important place to put it is a lot of people don't actually even know what the pelvic floor is or pelvic health or what it encompasses. And I know that when I first started, I thought it was this like, you know, the muscle that stops you from weighing yourself basically. (laughs) But actually it encompasses so much more than that. And I think it'd be really great if we could start by delving into what exactly do we mean by the pelvic floor? Where is it? What does it do? Tell us everything. Absolutely. Yeah. So the pelvic floor, I mean, of all the muscle groups, I love it because it's literally states where it is. Well, you know, like bicep, you're like, well, where's that? It doesn't tell you. But the pelvic floor is literally makes up the floor of the pelvis. So the pelvis has lot an outlet at the bottom, which is essentially like a big hole. And the pelvic floor fills that hole. The pelvic floor is a group of muscles. So there's actually lots of little muscles and they have some great names like bulgospongiosis and ischiocavenosis. Like they're hilarious. <laughs> they don't roll off the tongue, but there's lots of these muscle groups. We also have sphincters which are like rings of muscle that go around the urethra go around the anus which also contribute to our continents and the muscles with the connective tissue and the nerves is essentially what makes up this title of pelvic floor so it is more than just one small muscle that I think a lot of us think about it's 
a complex little group that do a lot together. And I think the term pelvic health, people are still like, well, what is pelvic health? Like, is it just the pelvic floor? And actually, again, it's so much more than just the muscle group. So, you know, as pelvic health physios, we're dealing with bladder, bowel, intercourse, um, you know, pelvic pain, abdominal muscles as well. So it's really, really like encompasses anything around the pelvis that might influence. But I guess the three keen things we often struggle with are bladder symptoms, bowel symptoms and sex symptoms. And am I right in saying that it also makes up part of our kind of core Mm. cylinder? So we have this kind of base to our core that is actually our pelvic floor. And I think often when we think about training our core muscles, we're like, let me do a hundred crunches, but actually that the pelvic floor makes up part of that kind of core cylinder that we have within us. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah, you've got the diaphragm at the top, you've got the pelvic floor at the bottom, you've got muscle called transverse abdominis that's for the kind of the deeper core where I think we're so much more in fitness used to like the rectus abdominis and the obliques, but underneath all of that is a very key muscle called transverse versus and then there's one down the spine called multifidus and essentially these guys like all muscles in the body we work in teams so you know we're familiar with the bicep and the tricep or the quadriceps and the hamstrings but the diaphragm and the pelvic floor and the abdominals have a really lovely relationship and this is why again if we just view the pelvic floor muscles in isolation we often miss the whole picture and you know as sort of similar to your conversations with Caroline thinking about the wider body as well we now have research coming out that's saying we need to think about the hips if we're dealing with urinary urgency and frequency you know so it's very much getting our heads out of the pelvis so also remembering that the pelvis is really important as well yeah gosh so interesting and when we think about pelvic floor dysfunction you kind of referenced earlier about you know ways in which that might show up and why you might see people but if we could go into that a bit more describing pelvic floor dysfunction and how this might show up what typically does that present as for you? So I break it down into sort of different, I guess, get different symptoms. So bladder wise, you know, it can, it can be your classic urinary incontinence. And I think we've come a long way in raising awareness about that being a symptom. That might be if you exercise, it might be if you cough, or it might be when you need a wee and you're on the way to the bathroom. But it also bladder symptoms can have no incontinence. And it can just be that you find yourself needing to wee really, really frequently or really, really urgently or getting up like multiple times a night. That is still related to your bladder and your pelvic floor. So it's not just like I've got a weak bladder it's like there's actually some dysfunction going on that we could deal with with regards to our bowels again I think we often think oh after birth maybe you struggle to control your bowels but again that can happen at any point in life it can also be urgency and it also can be wind control which is incredibly embarrassing for women but also it can be the other end of the spectrum where you really struggle to do a poo so I actually work in a specialized clinic where we support people who have chronic constipation who struggle to open their bowels and there's a close link with the pelvic floor because essentially to do a poo the pelvic floor has to let go and for multiple reasons through life the pelvic floor might actually struggle to let go and then I guess closely linked with that is intercourse so often the most common symptoms that we might treat are kind of pain with intercourse or not being able to have intercourse and again the pelvic floor a bit like a bodyguard is how I like to think about it you know they're going to protect us and if we've had a traumatic experience or or not so whether that's through birth or a relationship or just constant kind of micro stresses through life the pelvic floor can have increased tone and can't relax and that can be really painful as well so all these ways our pelvic floor is related and that's what we're supporting women and men with in clinic Super interesting. And yeah, I think that's the thing we tend like, and I know that my previous perception of pelvic floor health and what pelvic health might be is, is all to do with continence. And actually it's interesting when you hear that it's such a broad category and there are so many things that actually can be addressed by looking at the pelvic floor. We know that during pregnancy and after menopause, there can actually be some big changes in our pelvic floor function. Those are kind of two crucial moments, which I know you've referenced. Taking each one of these instances, what changes might one typically expect? I 
know we've sort of said more broadly, it can happen at any time, but just more specifically, because we know that these are points in someone's life where it might be affected more. What changes might someone see at those times? Pregnancy is a big one because obviously babies weigh a good amount and they're sitting inside that pelvis, inside the abdomen and putting pressure down to the pelvic floor. So I'd say most commonly in pregnancy, women experience incontinence generally by the end. And again, I think we're still normalizing that that's just part of pregnancy or that's just part of postpartum. The, The main thing I'd say in pregnancy are two things, the weight of the baby, but also hormone changes that not only just influence our joints and muscles, but also our bowels. And again, constipation, incredibly common. So I always say to women, if you're straining to do a poo, it's it's not just your weight of your baby, but also you pushing down on your muscles a lot as well. So I say pregnancy, those are the really key ones. Birth related, you know, we can have injury to the pelvic floor through birth. So that's a big change. In the same way, I always think about it. If we ever had a hamstring tear, how would we respond to a hamstring tear? Like we would probably see a specialist and have it rehabilitated, like if we needed it repaired, have it repaired. But then before we go back to running, we'd do like a really intensive rehab program. And yet when it comes to the pelvic floor, we're honestly just sent out of hospital a couple of days after, maybe the day after with really little advice. For me, there's just such little respect for what these muscles are doing. And then they're allowed to, and I think there's still not education that women are actually understanding some of the tears do involve the pelvic floor muscles. I think we kind of communicate it as just a skin tear, but but muscle tears at any other point in, I guess, athletic life or exercise, we'd treat differently. So that's a really key time. Mm. And then menopause is really tricky with menopause because, again, I think it's all just presented as like doom and gloom. And there's, you know, it is just what it is. And we've just got to kind of like suck it up and deal with it. But, you know, the key thing happening at menopause is that our estrogen levels, they kind of fluctuate and decline. Now, the vulva and vagina have loads of estrogen receptors, so more than other parts of the body. So when estrogen drops, those areas of the body really take the hit and feel it. So often dryness, but there's also bladder symptoms and sex symptoms that are related to just this decline in estrogen. So it's not just that your pelvic floor is getting super weak and just can't function any longer. We don't necessarily think it's necessarily the estrogen that's making the pelvic floor weak, the lack of estrogen, sorry, making the pelvic floor weak. It's more the impact on the tissues. But ultimately, we know that as we age, and it's slightly depressing in your mid-30s, which I now am, as you start reading that everything sort of starts to decline, like your bone density and your muscle strength. So we know there is that. But again, we can be proactive. And I think that's what the education needs to be. Do it now. Like, don't just leave it and think, oh, well, what's inevitable is inevitable. Think about what we can do to be proactive to kind of get through that time. Yeah, I think that the menopause one is really interesting because you're absolutely right. It's often painted as like there's certain symptoms that even I know that people have mentioned like, oh, you know, and it can be very much in like a kind of colloquial jokey way. Like, oh, you know, as you get older, when you sneeze, you wee. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And things like that that are almost quite normalized. And I Mm. think it's actually done women a real disservice because they're sort of accepting in a way that that yeah. stuff's normal when it really isn't totally going back to the pregnancy um mm. i think the other thing that's really crucial in that stage of a woman's life particularly around the birth itself mm. is actually understanding what goes on for the body during that time and look i'm sure when you get to that point i'm not someone who's had children so i can't speak on on it from it from that perspective but i do think that when i sat with helen and i and i really saw women post birth and understanding you know what's an episiotomy for example i had no idea what that even was and what happens in a first second third degree mm. tear you know what do, what do those things mean i think that having that empowered knowledge can actually mean that you have so much more of an understanding of what the recovery might be like whereas i think like you said when women sort of are leaving hospital and they've already got someone else to care for so they're not really putting themselves as the priority anyway 
then have to think about dealing with something that they don't really have a good understanding of can be really hard. I can see how people just push it low on the priority list. And then when they've got, you know, a one, two year old, they're suddenly like, oh, I can't hold my Wii in or whatever. And then, and then come and see someone like you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a st- statistic that says something like it takes on average seven years for women to get support for pelvic health symptoms. Wow. Do you know what? A few years ago, I was like, gosh, that's ridiculous. Seven years. That's such a long time. Now I am in January. I will be seven years after having my first child. And at that point, this is the time in my life when I've had the most help, most childcare, because the eldest, she's in school and the others in preschool a few days a week as well. This is the first time when I actually have a morning to myself where I could probably go to an appointment. And then I was like, huh, seven years, not that long. (laughs) And it's funny how we have these, you hear these things, but my main message to women, Mm. I get women emailing me like sheepishly being like, oh, Claire, sorry, it's 10 years. It's probably a bit late now, but I'm like, no, 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 never too late, never too early, never too late. There's no boundaries on when you can take care of your pelvic health. Like, obviously I'd love it the more proactive we can be. And that's exciting. I think that's starting to happen as I get more women coming through in pregnancy being like, I've got nothing wrong at the minute, but I'd really also like not to have anything wrong. So could we do some work now to try and work on that? Amazing. But equally, a lot of us don't have that education or that accessibility. And so, yeah, it's never too late. We can always do something about it. I actually think that's that's a really important point to, to talk about is, you know, as with most muscles in our body, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's really important to work on it. But as with most muscle in our body, it can be improved yes. you know, over time. And I think that your point about it never being too late and there always being something that you can do, I am sure, uh, you know, this isn't from any research, but I'm sure that there are so many women who kind of write themselves off, for example, that 10-year example, where they're like, well, it's so long now. I've kind of got used to it. I don't know if I'd be, you know, I'm, I'm not just post-birth. So I shouldn't really bother doing anything about it. And I think actually, like, it's so important to hammer home that message. It's never too late to improve your pelvic floor. Absolutely. And I think, do you know what's really interesting with with just pelvic floor in general? I think we do a disservice to women because we kind of box it as something that's very simple and basic. So like, just do some squeezes here and there. When actually, if you think, and obviously you'll know this much more than I do, when you're training muscles, we have to, there's like, obviously there's specialism or kind of conditioning, right? You need to overload. (laughs) There is reversibility, as you've mentioned, if we stop doing it, it's going to get weaker. But in the same way, we're not going to have a body transformation, though I hate that term, you know, in six months of going to the gym, if you do it like once a week, it it takes consistency. And I think we miss sell it to women of just being like, well, just do some squeezes when you're sat down, whenever you whenever you get a chance, and that will sort your pelvic floor out whether we would never rehabilitate or strengthen any other skeletal muscle in that way. And I think again, obviously, Helen's done amazing work around this of making it functional of challenging us all Mm. to be like, uh, who not many of us are lying down for most of the day, let's be honest. So great, you can engage in that position. But it's like saying to people who want to run a marathon, well, do some bridging, lying down, and then you're ready, go. And it's like, no, no, we need to do a lot of other stages. And I think that's where pelvic health is going, is this kind of trying to bridge that gap between early pelvic floor, which is almost where it then stopped. And how do we get this muscle group ready and functional for life, for exercise and for movement? I remember seeing Caroline teach. So so, uh, she Mm. does one pelvic floor and core rehab class a week on my app, which is really good. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I have to share some of them with you, but she's she's absolutely brilliant. And I sort of sometimes sit in and watch her do the classes. And, you know, she's very good at explaining, like, sometimes we do it standing, sometimes we do it kneeling, sometimes we do it sitting, sometimes we do it lying down. And, you know, the fact that there should be variability 
flexibility in how you're doing those exercises and and that the breath is so connected and I, I that I've learned so much from her as well in terms of you know those classes are between eight to ten minutes so really accessible they're not super long um but just again as you said as with any other workout that you might do it's having that consistency with it yeah. and I think that that is that is really important and a really important thing to remind ourselves of we'll be back after this Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Now, as we've just said, you know, the pelvic floor can be improved, um, but most people commonly pick up doing their pelvic floor exercises during and post-pregnancy. But I guess my question to you is, should we all be doing pelvic floor work, of which I kind of already know the answer? And if that is the case, and if that is the case, what should we be doing and how often? Mm, Great question. So in short, Ideally, if we're exercising the rest of our body for health reasons, we should be exercising our pelvic floor for pelvic health reasons. But again, I think you know we're all so busy. You're like, please don't add something else to my routine. And I love that you have that on the app. So you're like, great, you do your workout, you've got your core and pelvic floor, you can just add it on, job done. To be honest, from a research perspective, we don't have yet an absolute, we don't even have complete agreement on if you've got symptoms, how many should we be doing? So what I often say, so we definitely don't have that outside of symptoms. But what I generally say to people is it's ultimately finding what's realistic for you. So like your other training, like if you can train three times a week, great. Think about, could I attach it to that? If actually what works better for you is to have a sticky dop on your laptop and every time you see it, you do a few brilliant do it like that so I would say it's very healthy to think about a few on a daily basis and if you can do them in standing brilliant and that's the hardest way we can do them I'd probably try and commit to that there are two types and I think that's really important to understand is that how we exercise the pelvic floor there's a lot of focus on just these quick squeezes but actually I like to simplify it as like yes we need to squeeze but we have to relax we have to relax in the same way that any bicep curl you do you're not just going to like flicker it you're going to release it and go through range the pelvic floors the same so you do say 10 try do 10 where you're just on and off a bit like a light switch on and off and then somewhere you try to hold now I don't know how you find this Alice but holding is often a lot harder because you've got the breath control so you're not holding your breath and your pelvic floor you're holding your pelvic floor whilst you just breathe normally in and out and I say try to work up to 10 second holds and I know Helen would probably agree with this if you can do those and you can do 10 of each and you can do 10 of each in standing on a daily basis or a few times a week I would say that's a really healthy way just to kind of be proactive if you have symptoms, then yes, we need to be doing more as a treatment strategy, but that's where it's sort of different depending on what we're dealing with. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I suppose it's important to reiterate that if you do have symptoms, it's probably also best to come and see someone like yourself and knowing that people like you are out there that can really yeah. help to give specific advice because, you know, as with, you know, if someone came to me and they said, oh, you know, I've got a really serious knee injury and I'm rehabbing <laughs> from it, I might say, well, let's work with yes. your physio to get you stronger then. I wouldn't just take it on myself. It's about knowing and working within your scope of practice for yeah. sure so we're looking at 10 squeezes mm-hmm. and 10 second holds now the the most important thing and everyone's different so I'd love to hear what yours is how do you get people to locate their pelvic floor and to know how to properly squeeze? Yes, great question. So again, we're still trying to discuss this in research. It's funny because every research paper you get, you're like, oh, here's another one. <laughs> here's another thought. 
The way I find it, like clinically examining women, what helps most of us is to think around your anus. So you get a connection around your back passage like you're holding in wind, but then visualize that squeeze and bring it forwards to your pubic bone, which is at the front of your body. Because I find a lot of the time we're so busy thinking about it coming like right up and inside the body to the head, but we don't get that full closure towards the urethra. And if we're struggling with leakage and we want to prevent leakage, we need to get the whole pelvic floor movement. So think about your anus coming forwards and upwards to your pubic bone and then fully release it. And that I find for the majority works really well. Yeah, really, really good to know. And again, matching that with the breath as well. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, we often say breathe in to release and then breathe out to squeeze, which can feel really counterintuitive, but that is the best way because essentially as you breathe in, the diaphragm comes down, the pelvic floor lengthens and as you breathe out, the diaphragm goes up and the pelvic floor like naturally recoils. Another cue I've been using a bit more when another colleague said this is thinking about nodding your clitoris, which I know most of us aren't thinking of on the regs. But if you think about the clitoris, at the front <laughs> nodding into the vagina again you get a really good kind of backwards to forwards squeeze and for some people who just can't connect with the anus cue they're like the clitoris one is like gold so here you go guys think about that <laughs> I love it and I think that that's the thing you know like I think that the misconception can be that you just squeeze as if you're holding in a wee yes. basically that that's what I think a lot of people believe yeah. working their pelvic floor to be and actually I remember Helen saying imagine that you're squeezing your back package package (laughs) and getting that connection and I remember that was really a really helpful cue for me moving on to kind of more complex issues I guess pelvic health kind of spans as you said in the intro a lot of different things and I think that it's really interesting to know that for example you might work with people with endometriosis adenomyosis and looking at what a pelvic health specialist can do in this area. Mm. I speak from experience that painful periods can be absolutely debilitating. Mm. And I think that um, often trips to the GP can be a little challenging. I don't want to speak for everyone, but they can be. So someone like yourself, how might you work with someone who is suffering from endo or adenomyosis and, and what can be done to help these conditions? Yeah, great question. And I think something that I'm very excited is, is again, awareness is increasing. So so essentially, when the body is is in pain, and and obviously associated with these conditions is a lot of pain, often around the period, but can also be at other times. A classic clinical presentation, which I think we see in most women, often their pelvic floor again is very tight. When we mean tight, it's kind of more switched on, and also their tummy, because essentially the body is wired to protect. The pelvic floor is wired to protect. Now, unfortunately, then when you get tighter, more switched on muscles that can also then feed in pain. So though it may not be that the pelvic floor is driving that initial discomfort, they can then respond. So I always say to women with these conditions, look, I'm not going to change the actual condition. Like we need medical professionals. We might need some medication. There may be surgical options. But what we can do is change this sort of domino effect that can happen from that. So we can think about how you connect and how you work on releasing your pelvic floor or movements that might be very relaxing and calming for you. We can work on breath work and release of the tummy. And a lot of these women also then experience pain with intercourse. So then again, we might be helping them with their with their sex life. So they're not, it's not like, oh goodness, I've got this condition and I can't have sex. And I, my bladder is like, I'm going for a wee, you know, 20 times a night, which I had someone this week with that presentation. You know, and she's like, I can deal with the condition, but it's all these other things that massively affect my quality of life and my mental health. So I think as pelvic health physios, we're there to really just like nurture the woman in that and her life and everything she's experiencing and try and optimize her quality of life in light of having a condition that is going to be there and will need management at different points. But yes, I think 
pelvic pain is such a broad term and we've now got all these sort of subcategories even with things like IBS or yeah chronic pelvic pain and then these other conditions that are sort of coming under it as well um bladder pain syndrome is another one so there can be a lot of crossover with presentation but essentially the treatment would be the same to deal with your symptoms and nurture your body and there's so much we can do yeah and and I actually think that that would be a really nice place to go next is I know that when I sat in with Helen there were many women that came who were so apprehensive about their appointment because it was like what's gonna happen are you going to you know and and, and like similarly to going for a smear test you know it's just Mm. a little bit awkward sometimes so it'd be really nice from your perspective to hear about how from start to finish you treat a woman who presents with you know varying things that we've spoken about today and what a session with you might look like. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so important. And yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's so funny. I feel completely the same going to these appointments. Like, even though this is my job, there's an element of just having to get undressed and be assessed by someone that never, I don't think, feels comfortable. But we always make it the best that we can for you. Essentially, we'll always start with a really deep conversation of just you getting to know me, me getting to know you, asking lots of questions, you having just space to share your story. And I think as physios, we have such a privilege that we often get a lot longer with people. So yes, as you've mentioned, you know, go to the GP it's 10 minutes it's very hard to go into the nitty-gritty of what you're feeling and experiencing and also they're not specialists so we are like well I know what you know I've heard these stories before I know you're not alone so there's a lot of just chatting that through then an assessment will vary but it would essentially look at how you move in standing would look at your breath your breathing your rib cage your diaphragm your abdominal muscles and it will involve an internal examination generally but again that's only if you consent there is stuff that we can do without doing an internal examination but it's just sort of that gold stand of helping us to understand your body best so we can then help you but it's not with speculums it's very different to a smear test it's generally with one finger inserted internally it's not painful it's just not pleasant and for those who might have bowel symptoms then that's the point we might do an anorectal examination which again I completely understand none of us want to go through but again often people afterwards are like oh that wasn't as bad as I thought or actually I'm really happy we did it because now I know x y and z and I can change x y and z so that's essentially in a summary what it will be but it's all very there's space there's time there's conversation we talk it all through and make sure you really understand what we're doing and why that's so nice to hear and I and, and I completely agree that like it, it should always be a conversation and, and, a, and a moving thing you don't just suddenly come in and have to have your legs akimbo <laughs> which which for anyone is deeply uncomfortable yes. but yeah I um I completely I completely love that there's there's always a conversation and you're so right having that time to be able to garner trust is so huge yes. um and really, really important, especially in kind of more vulnerable situations. Yes. One of the things we've kind of touched on a couple of times across this conversation, and I do actually want to go into a bit more, is vaginal pain during intercourse. Mm. I think that this is still one of those areas within pelvic health that is very taboo. Yeah. And I, I think recently I saw someone post about it, but it might have been a specialist, so I can't actually remember. But I think it's more common than any of us realize. And I'm sure in your job, you see it all yeah. the time. But it's something that I think a lot of people feel really uncomfortable to talk about. So I wondered if you could talk about kind of reasons why someone might have that. Obviously, I don't expect you to be able to diagnose, but kind of the Mm. broad spectrum of reasons why someone might present with pain during intercourse and then things that you might do to kind of work through that. Yeah, absolutely. So a really common condition that we often hear about is something called vaginismus. So this is basically the involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor muscles, which wrap around the vagina. So the involuntary contraction of those muscles to any form of penetration, whether that be a tampon, a penis, a vibrator, a smear test you know any examination so essentially that in itself can cause pain but sometimes that response is actually 
because of another experience. So for example, you've had thrush before and your tissues were particularly sore at the time of trying to attempt penetration and that made it your response more because it was already tender or sore. And some women you know, have recurrent thrush or recurrent UTIs. That's quite a common thing that your body again is trying to protect you because you already have a lot of discomfort down there. Some women may have experienced some vaginal dryness. Now that is particularly common postpartum or you know, perimenopause, menopause and beyond. And you can get like little paper cuts in the vulva. Now, understand that air is incredibly sensitive when that's painful. Um, and you then try and have penetrative sex or, as I say, any of these other things, it can be really sore. And again, your pelvic floor is going to say, no, thank you. I don't want that experience. Or you may have had a, you know, a, some, some experience of sexual abuse where, again, your body has been through a real trauma. It doesn't necessarily have to be, I think, sometimes what we think as a traumatic experience, though, as well, just through micro trauma through life or just having a very stressful period or even childhood experiences like if we're just thinking about increased pelvic floor tone like fear of doing a poo as a child or not wanting to use the toilet at school we can get into these sort of what I call holding patterns where we subconsciously hold our pelvic floor so that again might just be the way we are generally day to day and therefore we can't release the muscles enough to allow comfortable penetration so I mean I think that alone shows how many things can be going on down there there's also skin conditions like vulval eczema vulvar psoriasis and I think these are really underknown about um, and really badly missed within the medical professionals as well essentially the vulval skin no different to the skin on your face or your hands right it's just a different area but it can be impacted by eczema so some people who've got eczema elsewhere in their body also can experience it on the vulva and ultimately dry, itchy skin can also split. So yeah, psoriasis or eczema. And there are other more rare conditions that are common like later on in life generally, but it's not exclusive, um, lichen sclerosis and lichens planus. So loads of things that our little vulva has to deal with. <laughs> mm. So in terms of treatment plans, are, the, are they the same things that you would work on if someone had pelvic floor issues? Is it all about kind of getting the pelvic floor to relax? Generally, yes, from a, from a physio point of view, but we'd always need to deal with anything that's kind of like on the surface level. So anything that was skin related, we might work with what we call a vulval dermatologist. Some people are like, what? But like a dermatologist, I think most of us are familiar with, right, for our general, you know, face or other parts of the body, but you get specialists in dermatology who literally treat the vulva. So these people are like out there but it's very hard to sometimes access so I'd always maybe work with one of those specialists make sure once the skin and everything is fine then yes breath work pelvic floor release visualization but we also use vaginal dilators which are essentially these like silicon bendy penis things that start from the size of a finger really small all the way up to pretty life-size penis size and we just it's not just about simply getting them in and out but looking at how your body is responding to that experience and we help to just work on the mind-body connection and sometimes we might work also with a kind of a psychosexual therapist maybe there's some things from kind of you know things you've been told about sex or shame or you know family beliefs that maybe you don't also want to choose but have you kind of embodied because that's what you've grown up with you know at the end of the day, sex is not just a physical thing, right? It's a it's an emotional and mental thing. And there's also relational things that could be going on. So we might also get the husband in to talk these things through. So like essentially loads, but it will always be focused on the 
pelvic floor and its response to what is going on. Because sometimes people can let it go, but then it's always in response to something coming in. So that's what we then need to deal with how they learn to respond in a different way. I feel like specifically with that issue, it's just so nice to hear that there is so much that can be done. Because I, again, I think a lot of women can really write themselves off from and limit themselves from having, you know, a good sex life and a healthy kind of, you know, functioning relationship because they think, oh, well, I just can't, you know, Absolutely. and it's re- it's really nice to hear that there are so much that can be done. My final question, Claire, is really around accessibility. Um, we sit here and, you know, I, I have had the fortune of being able to shadow someone like you, but I know that she was working privately. And I think that when it comes to pelvic health, it's really important that we can understand, I guess, where someone can access someone like you or similar, and whether that be through the NHS or if it needs to be that they have to go privately to see that, to see a specialist. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, that on the NHS, there are pelvic health physios across the country. I think where we're, I was speaking to someone literally about this last night, where I feel like we've grown in awareness but we haven't quite got the full infrastructure in place yet there is so much work going on behind in behind the scenes in the nhs but we are in a bit of a kind of like supply demand issue sort of thing so Yes, it's there, but uh, the waits at the minute, I'd say on average, are looking at you're looking at months to to access that support. But it doesn't mean it's not there. So what I sometimes say to him is, like, get yourself on a waiting list, speak to your GP. I think with GPs, what's really important is we sometimes go in there talking about what we really want and need. I think sometimes we expect them just to have all the answers. But sometimes they may not have even heard about a pelvic health physio. We're doing a lot of work to try and change that. But sometimes if you just go in and say, look, I've heard a pelvic health physio talk. I've done a bit of research. Some great places that people could go are the POGP website. It's literally like the POGP.co.uk. It's like our national body. You can search for physios across the UK. There's tons of free resources. And sometimes taking that in and just saying, I've done this reading. Could you maybe help me know if I can be referred is a really good in to the conversation. So if you have symptoms, essentially incontinence, uh, pelvic floor dysfunction symptoms, pain, there is access on the NHS. Um, Ultimately, if you want to be seen quicker, then yes, the private support is there. And and there's obviously lots of us across the country as well. But I think what's really important, most of us obviously are just so passionate that you get help, whether that's one virtual consultation to give you a head start, whether that's you see me for a couple of weeks and then you get your NHS referral. Like for me, we're all on the same team and it's like a hybrid approach. And our priority is that you get the right help. So I always believe there's a way, whether it's reading a book on the topic, an ebook that might be really affordable, um, a virtual consultation, which is probably a bit cheaper, like talk to friends, like whatever it might be it's accessible but I think it's just something we have to go out there and find it and you have a book Claire don't you yeah it came out I think it's like two months ago now it's weird how time you have a time warp isn't it um yeah so that should be where people go first <laughs> I mean I wrote it so basically it could support anyone's journey uh, it could support you seeing a physio at the same time it's like a journaly kind of but you can write thoughts and it goes from childhood through to menopause it's meant to cover the whole of the lifespan with really like top tips bite-sized information how to connect with your body um so yeah it's called strong foundations why pelvic health matters i wanted to play on the idea that essentially they are like the foundations of your body um but also this is like foundational information that we should all flipping be given but we're not um but yeah you know it might be enough for some people that that's the information they need or it might be a supplement or physios might use it as part of that support but i do think we're trying to break down barriers that are there and i think basic education is definitely the first step in the right direction i absolutely agree and that's why this episode has been so brilliant thank you so much claire we will put the link for your book in the show notes as well as that pog uh what was it pogcp no pogp yeah 
GP. Pelvic obstetric gynecological physiotherapist. Blah, blah, blah. Um, PAGP. Okay. <laughs> we'll make sure we put the link for that into the show notes as well. Um, Claire, thank you so much. I honestly think that these conversations are so important. And I always feel like, you know, my role of having a platform, having a podcast mm. is always about not only delivering interesting stories, but being able to help people that might not be able to access, you know, a pelvic health physio straight away and then looking for that support. And I hope that anyone that's listened today has found this useful. So yeah, if anyone does want to see Claire in person, we will put those those details as well. Claire, thank you so much. And I look forward to hopefully having you on again soon and chatting all things pelvic health. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i would love it if you could take some time to rate review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it we have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out see you next time insanity group